0: This is an audio recording of an award lecture presented at the 2022 Annual Meeting of the American Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. First, I want to thank um, the ASBMB for this wonderful, wonderful award. It came as a very big surprise, and I'm absolutely thrilled and honored to have it. I didn't know Mildred Cohn, um, but I am very, very thankful for all the things that she did, especially to pave the way for um, women to be leaders in science. And I think that one of the reasons that um, I was selected for this award uh, has to do with some technological things that I've done, which is certainly one of the many things that Mildred Cohn was known for. She was a specialist in NMR, and I uh, am doing crystallography. And one of the main things that I've done is to um, lead, where I'm now the scientific director of the um, uh, GMCA um, beamlines at the Argonne Synchrotron, and I just would thought I would put a couple slides in about that. Um, here's the group at Argonne um, last time we were together before the pandemic, and this is a. Uh, sector of the advanced photon source that's supported by the uh, NIGMS and NCI of the um, NIH. And this was, we developed this back in the time when there were just not enough photons uh, to support the science that was uh, funded by NIH. And what we became known for uh, was uh, microcrystallography to and my, I think my contribution to this was to um, be very clear that what I wanted was a very small beam in which we could manipulate uh, samples. And these are some of the tools that we developed um, over the years, and especially this uh, mini beam collimator that allows users to rapidly change the beam size in a way that is very, very uh, solid and robust uh, and reproducible really sped up um, the uh, screening and data collection from samples and also um, uh, the the quality of crystals that could be uh, examined. And we first became very important for um, membrane protein structures, particularly GPCRs. And most of the uh, structural work that went into the um, beta adrenergic receptor um, that were, resulted in a Nobel Prize for Brian Kubelka and Bob Lefkowitz was done on the GMCA beamlines. But uh, that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to you about some um, of the science in my lab, and this has to do with um, a project that we've worked on for several years on uh, flaviviruses that include all these uh, pathogens that you can see here, that by far the worst public health danger from these is the dengue virus which is very broadly distributed and causes a lot of disease and death. These are spherical uh, enveloped viruses um, and the um, genome is a positive sense RNA genome that looks like a message with a cap and it gets translated as one large polyprotein when it gets into the cell and this ns1 or non-structural protein one is the one that we um, have been working on. So the polyprotein has a lot of signal sequences into in it, and it gets inserted into the ER membrane when it's produced. And the initial encoded proteins, the capsid and this envelope protein, are at, uh, encoded in the five prime end of the genome, and NS1 is the first non-structural or not in the mature virus particle protein. And it's all, all interestingly, on the lumen side of the ER membrane. The other proteins are either smaller transmembrane proteins or uh, enzymes, an RNA-dependent RNA polymerase and a capping enzyme, a helicase, and a protease. And then there are a lot of uh, maturation uh, proteolytic processing events, you can see by these arrows, um, that lead to the mature virus particle. So um, NS1. has was known to have a lot of functions and they're very unclear um what was more important or how it worked and when we started on it and so uh it here's a cartoon of a replication complex inside this invagination um into the er of the er membrane um into what's called a vesicle packet um, and with all a bunch of viral proteins here, NS1 on the lumen side of the membrane, it's not a membrane protein. Um, and it, uh, how, when it's in the cell, it has two ways of being. One is inside the cell where it's a dimer, and the other one when it is secreted, um, and there it is a, a hexamer. And before we published the structure, there was a very very low resolution prior EM reconstruction from Felix Ray um, of a soluble, the secreted NS1, and he showed that it was actually a proteolipid particle. It has lipid inside it. So the sequence of NS1 is a highly conserved protein, 352 amino acids, highly conserved among a number of flaviviruses, as you can see here. It had absolutely no similarity to any protein of known structure or even any other protein for that matter. Um, So there was no uh, bioinformatics uh, basis for hypothesis about what and how it worked or where domains might be. The sequence identity is fairly high. It has typical for a secreted protein, it has six disulfides Um, and it also is glycosylated and it's loosely membrane associated. So the work in the lab was done by three talented um, people. Uh, Clay Brown, who works in our core facility, uh, figured out by a doing multiplex, he decided to make the protein in baculovirus-infected insect cells. Um, and multiplex data, uh, sorry, expression testing in, you know, several different sequences, different secretion signals, um, different if purification and stability tags and a couple different cell lines. Um, Jamie Konworski um, did the purification and crystallization and David Akey, a very skilled crystallographer um, uh, did the um, uh, crystallography on this. And uh, David decided to try uh, sulfur anomalous um, and it's because of the large number of disulfides. The six, six disulfides and also five methionines, and uh, collected data. Um, this is a few years ago, so we had a CCD detector. Um, he used data from about 20 crystals, 100 fold redundant data, um, to uh, detect this anomalous signal, which was only about 1.5% of F at the energy that we were able to, to go to. And um, it worked. Uh, This was right after the big um, push for sulfur anomalous in 2012, led by um, Wayne Hendrickson. And here is an example of um, two pieces of the electron density map. The map that you're looking at, the blue cage structure, is um, strictly from experimental phases, no um, uh, no model phases at all. And the model is the final refined model that we published. So this was really amazing. Uh, beautiful, beautiful map. So what does it look like? Well, it actually didn't look like anything we'd seen before, which was kind of cool. I never thought that would happen. Um, it crystallizes a dimer. Um, and here, if you look on the picture on the right, you can see one subunit is in gray, and the other one is rainbow colored from N blue to see red. Um, and. Um, it's a kind of dyed-in-the-wool dimer. It's never really going to exist as a monomer, and the domains. The, the, this uh, we we had to come up with names for the domains because we they they are different. So we we named the little N-terminal domain, which is inherently dimeric. Uh, this yellow balls are disulfides. Um, the beta roll, because that's what it is, but it's only it's less than 30 amino acids. And then there's a wing domain, that's the thing that sticks out to the side, and then half of the sequence is used in this uh, beta, what we named the beta ladder domain, which is a very simple topology, back and forth, back and forth, beta ladder. Um, uh, And, um, you know, continuous anti-parallel beta sheet, and and we also had uh, glycosylation. This is a couple here and another one here. Um, there are three in West. This is a West Nile virus, um, NS1. So, you know, I've often wondered, well, and more recently, I've wondered could we have solved this structure by molecular replacement if we had an alpha fold model? And the answer is who knows? But um, I'm actually curious whether um, alpha fold or rosetta fold could be used in kind of a backwards direction. So, there is nothing that looks like this anywhere in structural biology except for these ns1 flavivirus ns1 proteins and i wonder where it came from you know viruses are much better at stealing genes and adapting them to new functions than they are with inventing them, inventing new folds so i i just feel that probably this has a precedent in um somewhere in biology and maybe in an in um, infected host but where and what. It would be great if those prediction programs could help us figure that out. So an important feature that we noticed right away about the protein was that if you look down, this is the beta ladder you're looking down along. The spokes are going back and forth. One side of it is polar, and the other side of it is hydrophobic. So it's really like that beta ladder is a fence for separating two different neighborhoods. and that was very helpful in understanding what I mean. We knew from the, what we had to do to purify it that it is very sticky on membranes, likes membranes. It came out of the uh, insoluble fraction. We had to use a teeny bit of detergent to get it off. Um, and a few years later, so this West Nile structure was complete except for a 20 amino acid loop, a flexible loop in that wing domain that was missing. Um, when Zika appeared in Late 2015, early 2016, we of course got the DNA for that and did a structure. And it turns out that flexible loop is ordered in the Zika structure, and it is not pointing up where we expected. It, it's pointing down, and it's adding to this uh, layer that can interact with membranes. So all these yellow bits here are uh, aromatic amino acids. Um, there's two conserved tryptophans. There's a phenylalanine. There's another trip over here. Um and that makes the um, surface for membrane binding, we think. it makes certainly makes sense. Um, and this is consistent with this is one of those wonderfully rewarding things where you get a structure and the and it explains at least a goodly chunk of the biochemistry. so in in we try to re uh, constitute a hexamer of n s one and using uh, liposomes with defined lipid content. It didn't work, but what we discovered was that if we simply added NS1 to liposomes, it completely broke them apart. So it really, really likes membranes. And this is consistent with this figure that I showed you before, where NS1 is associated with the uh, ER membrane, but on the lumen side. And we did get crystals of For two, for the dengue virus serotype 2 and for West Nile, we actually got crystals of a hexamer. It has probably a little bit of detergent. It does not have any lipid in it. Um, They don't diffract very well, but the size and shape of these matches perfectly. Um, The uh, uh, EM reconstruction that was previously published by Felix Ray. And there's also a few other biochemical things that really make a lot of sense in this structure. A, a loop on this uh in this beta row domain, mind you, this is the membrane-facing side, has two polar side chains that are tucked up into the protein. Um and the and as you can see by comparing Zika Dengue and West Nile, these have somewhat different conformations um in that that loop connecting, oops, connecting two beta strands. Um and this was interesting because some years back Mike Diamond at Washu had swapped, he works on West Nile virus, he had swapped these two amino acids from dengue into West Nile. You would think that, you know, NK in place of RQ would be pretty innocuous, but it wasn't. It was really deficient in replication. He then passaged the virus and after several passages, got large colonies back and and Come to find that the second there was a second site revertant um, in, in this NS4B protein, which is this little viral pro, virally encoded protein right here. So this established that that's probably how NS1 is connecting to this complex where there's actually replication going on um, of the uh, viral genome. And then finally, um, NS1 has <clears throat> A lot of um there's a lot of it in cells. So here's the picture of the genome and what it encodes. NS1 is the first protein encoded after the structural proteins, and there is no subgenomic RNA or internal ribosome entry site or anything like that. As far as we know, the ribosome just continues making polyprotein. Um, so there is a lot of NS1 in cells now. To make a new to make a new virus particle requires 180 copies of the capsid protein, this thing called PRM, and the envelope protein E. You do not need 180 copies of all the enzymes and the machinery to replicate the virus. And here are some lovely um, tomograms from uh, Ralph Bartenschlager showing how the membrane is remodeled by NS1. It's really cool and I think, or sorry, remodeled by the virus infection, I think NS1 has a lot to do with this um, remodeling in a way that we don't fully understand, except we know it loves to bind membranes. So as a result of the structure, lots of people started reinvestigating this. Most importantly, there were some studies of um ns1 in the lab of ava harris at berkeley and paul young in uh brisbane and uh, we've been collaborating with ava but they both made simultaneously and co-published the result that the ns1 protein in absence of any virus can cause um, uh, the uh, breakdown the endothelial barrier and cause vascular leak which was really quite surprising. This is a hallmark of severe Dengue disease. And here's just a little bit of data showing with the survival of mice. And Ava's lab has a freezer full of monoclonals to NS1. And and the one that has been most helpful to understanding functions is the one called 2B7. And here with a, a experiment that looks at vascular leak in the back of a mouse, um, NS1 causes a lot of leak, but if you have the antibody present, it doesn't happen. Similarly, the endothelial barrier um, is disrupted. This is a trans uh, endothelial resistance, electrical resistance assay. If you add NS1, um, as in these lower curves, you lose the resistance. So, and then other things, which I don't have time to show you the data for, it It binds to cell surfaces, it's internalized via clathrin, it activates cathepsin, now the glycocalyx is disrupted and and all of these things are blocked by this monoclonal antibody. NS1 does all this, not in, in absence of virus. So this is a real window into how the virus interacts with the host that has led to a whole bunch of really cool experiments. So then the question is, OK, who does that? <laughs> Which part of this protein is responsible for that? So the Harris lab sent us their 2B7 hybridoma cells and clay isolated. The antibody got it sequenced um, or got the gene sequenced. It, um, Jamie purified it and made crystals. We solved the structure. And then the new grad student, Nick Bockhaus, has measured the um, affinities. And here here's a fab fragment of that antibody bound to binds to the tips of the beta ladder which is really what no one expected because they knew that the wing domain was very important for disrupting cells and that's not where it binds with with the expected affinity what you would expect for an antibody um but it does block membrane binding because of the way it's bound to that surface and the little angle that it has. So here's our hexamer. Um, and we put where well, there's room for one fab fragment at each end, one antibody at each end. You can't put two of them there because it, they crash into each other. Um, <clears throat> and here's the dimer that we, this is what we actually solved the crystal structure of. Um, and you can see that the antibody in blue, the fab fragment in blue, and the NS1 in green um, with the epitope in orange and the Greasy bits in yellow, um, it's in the way of interacting with the membrane. So D- David made this cute uh, video of the NS1 dimer, and this is a hydrophobic surface. Those are the amino acids that are actually hydrophobic. And this is how we think it interacts with a sort of interfacial interaction with the membrane. Um, but if if that antibody is present, it doesn't bind, it doesn't touch any of those surfaces, but it sure as heck is in the way. So the idea is, this is my very poor cartoon. Here we have an endothelial um, monolayer, and here's the glycocalyx, which looks like grass in real life. And here's a tight junction between cells. And one comes along, it does get internalized. It mows the grass gets internalized um, and breaks the tight junctions and that makes this a way better tissue for dengue or whatever virus to get into. Didn't mean to go to that so quickly. Um, and so that is um, you know there are lots of things like w- what exactly happens when it gets in the cell? Are there genes turned on? when we have some collaborations set up to um, <clears throat> look at these things and then maybe I could talk about them at another on another day. And then finally, my acknowledgements. Um, the people I've already told you about at the University of Michigan. This started as collaboration with Richard Kuhn at Purdue before I left there. Um, we got some help with EM from Yorgos Kaniotis when his group was in Michigan, and then Ava Harris at Berkeley has been a tremendous collaborator of late. Um, Craig Ogata was a huge help at uh, getting help us helping us with the sulfur sat experiments at um, at GMCA at the synchrotron. And this is our funding. And I thank you very much. We hope you have enjoyed this lecture. It was recorded in April 2022 in Philadelphia at the ASBMB annual meeting, held in conjunction for the final time with the Experimental Biology Conference. In 2023, the ASBNB Annual Meeting will be held in Seattle. Learn more at discoverbnb.asbnb.org.